Hello, good evening to you, and uh, happy to be in your presence on today, and so sorry uh, that my wife and I could not journey up to the Beaufort area and be with you uh, in person, uh, but we want to be able to still share with you the Word of God, and I really want to thank you for all the years that you have allowed us to come and to be able to fellowship with you and share the Word of God as well. Uh, to your elders, thank you for your vision, uh, the theme that you set forth in dealing with the minor prophets. Uh, thank you for that. And Brother Rye, uh, thank you for your friendship as well. Uh, today, as we journey together in God's Word, I have been assigned the topic of, or the book rather, Habakkuk, the book of Habakkuk. Uh, if you have your Bibles with you, uh, go ahead and grab your Bibles and we'll sit down together and study God's Word and see what we can work away with as we look at the book of Habakkuk. Now, the book of Habakkuk, if we do our research, we find out that this particular book has 56 verses in it, and it has three chapters as well. The book of Habakkuk, the name Habakkuk means to embrace, to embrace. Now that term, to embrace, is going to come back to haunt us as we go through this book, and we talk about that word embrace. If we're going to do a brief outline to get started, uh, Habakkuk chapter 1. In chapter 1, we deal with uh, the first complaint by Habakkuk. This is recorded in verses 1 through 4. And then from verses 5 down to verse number 11, we have God's response or his answer to Habakkuk's complaint. And then from verse 12 all the way down to verse number 17, uh, we have Habakkuk's second complaint, his second complaint to God. Then when you journey into chapter 2, we'll be dealing with the five woes that God gives out We'll deal with the five woes there. And then the last chapter, chapter three, we'll talk about the prayer of Habakkuk. So let's dive into this book and see what we can walk away with. Notice verse one, the burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. We're talking about the burden that Habakkuk the prophet did see. Now the term prophet uh, means a seer. They also refer to it as a seer in the book of Samuel. It is a foreteller when we're talking about a prophet. So it's a play of words here. Habakkuk, the prophet, did see. And a prophet is able to see or foretell the future. Now, when we're looking in verse 1, it says, The burden which Habakkuk, the prophet, did see. Uh, you want to read verses 1 through 4 uh, with uh, the mindset that Habakkuk had. Uh, Habakkuk is uh, disturbed. He's angry. He's sort of mad that God has not uh, issued out punishment. Habakkuk has went forth and he's preached the word, but God has delayed his punishing of the people. And Habakkuk is sort of stirred up about this. So when you and I are reading verses 1 through 4, uh, we're not reading it with the mindset of just a casual read, but we're reading it with the attitude that we're mad, we're angry, that God has not punished those who've been doing wrong. And so that's the way we want to approach verses 1 through 4. Let's read those verses and then talk about them. The burden which Habakkuk, the prophet, did see. Notice 2. O Lord, how long shall I cry that thou wilt not hear, even cry out unto thee of violence, and thou wilt not save? Why dost thou show me iniquity and, cast, and cause me to behold grievance? For spoiling and violence are before me. There are that rise that rise up strife and contention. Therefore, the law is slack, and judgment doth never go forth. For the wicked doth compass about the righteous, therefore wrong judgment proceedeth. 
Uh, this is Habakkuk. This is his first complaint to God. And within this complaint, he's mad in terms of God not being able to repay the people for the wrong that they have done. In verse 2, it says, O Lord, how long shall I cry, and thou wilt not hear? Even cry unto thee of violence, and thou wilt not save. Habakkuk says, God, I've been crying. I've been praying. I've been proclaiming your word. And over and over again, I go and proclaim your word, and still there's violence in the land. You have not done anything to these people. In verse 3, why dost thou show me iniquity and cause me to behold grievance? For spoiling and violence are before me, and there, and I'm sorry, and there are that rise of strife and contention. He says, listen, violence is before me. Uh, people are allowing things to rise up before me. There's so much going on, and God, you still have not done anything. Verse number four, therefore the law is slack. And judgment doth never go forth, for the wicked doth compass about the righteous, therefore wrong judgment proceedeth. He says, therefore the law is slack, and judgment doth never go forth. Now he says that the law is slack. Think about it now. Who gave the law? The law came from God. Well, when he says that the law is slack, he's taking issue with God. The law came from God. He says, the law is slack and judgment doth never go forth. Well, who's going to give out judgment? God will. So Habakkuk, the prophet of God, has a complaint or issue with God. He's saying the law is slack. In other words, God, you're slack. You're slack in repaying these people evil for what they have done. Then he says, the judgment does not go forth. In other words, God, you have not judged them. You have not done anything to these people. And then notice the latter part of verse four. For the wicked doth compass about the righteous, therefore wrong judgment proceedeth. Says God, I've preached, I've cried, I've proclaimed your word, and nothing has happened. You haven't done anything to these people. And so you can see or feel the pain that Habakkuk is going through. So this first complaint, he's just letting it all out. And he's just laying it out there and letting God know, this is how I feel. So in verse 5, all the way down to verse number 11, this is God's response or answer to Habakkuk. Verse 5, Behold ye among the heathen, and regard, and wonder marvelously, for I will work a work in your days which, you, which, you, which ye will not believe, though it be told you. God starts off with this. He says, Behold ye among the heathen. He says, And regard. He says, And wonder marvelously. For I will work a work in your days which will not you will not believe, though it be told you. He says, Habakkuk, yes, sit still for a moment. He says, I'm about to do something that even if it was told you, you still would not believe. I'm about to work a work. I haven't done it yet, but I'm going to do something. And then in verse number six, he says, For lo, I raise up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation which shall march through the breadth of the land to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. He says, I'm going to raise up a nation. Oh, who are you going to raise up, God? Uh, we're going to take the Chaldeans. In other words, that's part of the Babylonians. We're going to take the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, uh, which shall march through the breadth of the land to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. Uh, they're going to come through this land. And they're going to possess the dwelling places that don't even belong to them. God says, I'm going to take a heathen nation 
and I'm going to allow them to punish the people. Then in verse number seven, the text tells us they are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity shall proceed of themselves. God says they're terrible and they're dreadful. Uh, I'm not just going to take some nice people and allow them to come in and punish the people, but I'm going to go with the Chaldeans. I'm going to go with this heathen nation. I'm going to take these individuals. I'm going to allow them to come in and pronounce judgment. And then the Bible tells us in verse number eight, God begins to describe to Habakkuk what it will be like. In verse eight, he says, their horses also are swifter than the leopards and are more fierce than the evening wolves. And their horsemen shall spread themselves for their horsemen shall come from far. Uh, for their horse, horsemen shall come from far, they shall fly as the eagles that hasteth to eat. God says this is a description in terms of what will happen. He says they will come, but then notice the degree. God says their horses also are swifter than the leopards. God is saying this, listen, their horses, they're not just like leopards, but they are swifter than the leopards. God is trying to paint this picture to Habakkuk, and I'm sending in the Chaldeans, and when they do come, their horses, they are swifter or faster than the leopards. He goes on and says this, and are more fierce than the evening wolves. Now, it's one thing uh, to have a wolf standing before you, but God says they are more fierce than the evening wolves. God is painting this picture before Habakkuk. They're not just wolves, but they are more fierce than the evening wolves. He then goes on and says, and their horsemen shall spread themselves and their horsemen shall come from far. They shall fly as the eagle that hasteth to eat. Or they're not going to be just like eagles, but they're going to fly like an eagle who hasteth to eat. God is painting this picture before Habakkuk that I'm sending in the Chaldeans. I'm sending in a heathen nation. They will come in and they will afflict the land. They will attack the people. He then describes their horses. He then describes them as the fierceness of the evening wolves. He then talks about the eagle and how he hastes to eat his prey. And that's what it will be like. Verse number nine and verse 10. God is still speaking. He's still answering Habakkuk's complaint. Verse nine, they shall come all for violence, their faces shall sup up as the east wind, and they shall gather the captivity as the sand. Verse number 10, and they shall scoff at the kings and the princes shall be a score, shall be a score unto them. They shall deride every stronghold for they shall heap dust and take it. God is painting this picture again before Habakkuk that this is what it's going to be like. I know that I have delayed punishing the people, but I'm going to punish the people. I'm not doing it in your time frame, but I'm going to do it in my time frame. When I get ready, I'm going to punish them. I'll use the Chaldeans, but for right now, this is my answer for you, Habakkuk. Notice verse 11. Then shall his mind change and he shall pass over and offend. Uh, imputing this, his power, unto his God. Now Habakkuk hears the information that came from God. Habakkuk's complaint, verses 1 through 4. God's response, or his answer to Habakkuk's complaint, 
verses 5 through verse number 11. Then Habakkuk comes back again with his second complaint. Verse number 12. Art thou not for everlasting? O Lord, my God, my Holy One, uh, we shall not die. O Lord, thou hast ordained them for judgment. And, O mighty God, thou hast established them for correction. Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil, and canst not look on iniquity. Wherefore lookest thou upon them that deal treacherously, and holdest thou tongue when the wicked devoureth the man that is more righteous than he? He starts off by lifting God up. He begins to praise God. He says, art thou not for everlasting? He says, oh, my Lord, my God, my Holy One, uh, we shall not die. He goes on and begins to praise God by saying, oh, Lord, thou hast ordained them for judgment. And oh, mighty God, thou hast established them for correction. And then in verse number 13, he begins to change. Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil and canst not look on iniquity. Uh, wherefore, lookest thou upon them that deal treacherously, and holdest thy tongue when the wicked devour the man that is more righteous than he? Again, God has given his answer, but Habakkuk is still complaining. Habakkuk says, listen, they deal treacherously, and you hold back your tongue. You're not doing anything at all. God has already answered that I will repay. I will send in the Chaldeans. But it's a, it appears as if it goes in one ear of Habakkuk and goes out the other, because this is his second complaint to God. In verse number 14, it says, And make his men as the fishes of the sea, as the creeping things that have no rule over them. They take up all of them with the angle. Uh, they catch them in their net and gather them in their drag. Therefore, they rejoice and are glad. Therefore, they sacrifice unto their net and burn incense unto their drag, because by them their portion is fat and their meat plenteous. He's painting this picture before God that, God, you haven't done anything. I heard your answer. You're sending in the Chaldeans. I heard your answer. This fierce nation, this heathen nation. I heard your answer. They're going to punish the people. But yet he's still complaining. My friends, have you been there before? where you and I have read what the Bible said about a particular issue, but yet we still complain to God. Have you been there before? That's where Habakkuk is in this setting. This is his second complaint. Think about this. He's complaining to God the second time, and God is listening to his complaint. In verse 17, shall they therefore empty their net and not spare continually to slay the nations? And then after he complains, we go into chapter two and God will be able to cover some things. He'll point out some things to Habakkuk about keeping the faith. He'll point out the five woes that he has pronounced upon the people. But as it starts off in chapter two and verse number one, the text tells us, I will stand upon my watch and set upon the tower and will watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. Now, this is Habakkuk in verse number one. Habakkuk says, I'm going to stand upon my watch. I'm going to watch and see uh, what will happen. I'm going to watch and see if this will come to pass. And then in verse two, the Bible says, and the Lord answered me and said, write the vision and make it plain upon tables that he may run that readeth it. 
for the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. God is speaking now to Habakkuk, and God says, get a tablet, get the stone, and write upon it. And when those who read this, he then says, there will be an appointed time, but at the end, it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it. God says, I know that I'm delaying and punishing the people, but God says, I just need you to wait for it. I need you to wait for it. I need you to keep the faith and just believe that I'm going to punish the people. I'm going to keep my word. You just need to wait for it. You ever been having a conversation with someone? And then they say that something's going to happen. And then they tell you, wait for it, wait for it. And then shortly it will take place. That's what God is trying to say to Habakkuk. He's saying to Habakkuk, wait for it. Uh, though it tarry, you wait for it. I'm going to punish the people. Everything's going to come to pass, but I just need you to wait for it. You know how hard it is or trying for us to be able to be patient and to be able to wait for it. And that's what God is saying to Habakkuk. You see, this is what we notice about Habakkuk. Yes, he is the prophet of God, but also he struggles with trying to keep the faith when God is delaying the punishment on the people. And so we're able to see, if you will, the human side of Habakkuk. Yes, he's the prophet of God. Yes, he's the mouthpiece for God. But also we see that he's struggling with trying to be faithful while he's waiting on God to be able to answer this prayer. Verse number four, he says, behold, his soul, which is lifted up, is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. He's basically telling Habakkuk, you need to live by faith. The just, the righteous, we're going to live by faith, as Paul testifies in the New Testament. And so here in this text, God is simply just telling him, you need to wait for it. Though it tarries, though I'm delaying my punishment, wait for it. I need you to keep the faith and live by the faith and trust in me that everything is going to work out fine. I haven't done anything yet, but I'm going to do it. And you need to wait for it. It's about faith. My friends, you and I sometimes, we're there. We're there. Uh, there are times that we're struggling with things and we're wondering when God is just going to see us through. But we just have to wait for it. And while we're waiting, we got to keep the faith. Now, in verse number five, the Bible tells us, Yea also because the trans yea also because he transgresseth by wine, he is a proud man, neither keepeth at home, who enlargeth his desire as hell, and is as death, and cannot be satisfied, but gathereth unto him all nations, and heapeth unto him all people. Shall not all these take up a parable against him, and a taunting proverb against him, and say, Woe to him that increaseth, that which is not his, how long? And to him that ladeth himself with thick clay. My friends, we're, we have entered into the first woe. There are five woes that God will give in this particular chapter. And this is the first one. Now, if you get a chance to be able to look up the word woe, it's found this way. And the Hebrew version of Strong's Concordance, it comes to us by way of the Hebrew word hoio. Ho'o is uh, how it's pronounced. It means, oh, or at last. Oh, or at last. God is simply saying, woe, or oh, or at last. 
Here's the first woe. The first woe appears to us in the middle part of verse number six, when God says, woe to him that increaseth that which is not his, how long, and to him that ladeth himself with thick clay. Shall they not rise up and, and suddenly they, they shall bite thee and await thee and await that shall vex thee and thou shalt be for booties unto them because thou hast spoiled many nations all the remnant of the people shall spoil thee because of men's blood and for the violence of the land of the city and of all that dwell therein. Now, we're looking at this first woe that God pronounces upon the people there. Basically, God is looking at one of the Ten Commandments that they have broken. The first woe deals with to him that increaseth that which is not his. That means that someone has stole, stole, stole something. Something has been stolen. And they have taken something that did not belong to him. Don't we have a commandment that says, thou shalt not steal? That's one of the commandments. And God is taking issue with the people. And God says, woe to him that increaseth that which is not his. Uh, something has been stolen. They have taken something that does not belong to them. God takes issue with that. So the first woe has something to do with breaking one of the Ten Commandments, which is thou shall not steal. That's the first woe. When we go a little bit further in the text, we enter into the second woe. You're looking at verse number nine. In verse nine, it reads as follows. Woe to him, or at last, to him that coveteth an evil covetedness to his house. Now God is talking about coveting something. We enter into another of one of the Ten Commandments. This particular commandment is thou shalt not covet. You remember the commandment? Thou shalt not cover thy neighbor's house, thy neighbor's wife, thy neighbor's oxen. He goes down the list. In other words, God is taking issue with them because, again, they have broken one of the Ten Commandments. Notice nine. Woe to him that coveteth an evil covetedness to his house, that he may set his nest on high, that he may deliver from the power, I'm sorry, that he may be delivered from the power of evil. Uh, he's talking about covetedness now. Uh, being able to covet something that does not belong to you. And that's what God is taking issue with on the people. So this is the second woe. So far, the first two have something to do with breaking one of the two Ten Commandments. Now, in verse number 12, the text tells us, Woe to him that buildeth a town with blood, and established a city by iniquity. Behold, is it not of the Lord of hosts that the people shall labor in the very, in the very fire, and the people shall weary themselves uh, for, very, for very vanity? Now, I notice in verse number 12, woe to him that buildeth a town with blood and establish a city by iniquity. In other words, this individual has built a town, but how was this town built? This town was built by shedding of blood. In other words, individuals were killed in order that this town might be established. Woe to him that buildeth the town with blood. Again, we enter into one of the commandments, thou shalt not kill. So far, God is taking issue with them, and each one of these woes represents one of the commandments that the people have broken. 
So in verse number 12, we find out, woe to him that built the town, but this town was built with blood and established a city by iniquity. Now notice 14, for the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now here comes the fourth woe. Woe unto him that giveth his neighbor drink, that putteth a bottle to him and maketh him drunken also that thou mayest look on their nakedness. Now the fourth woe has to deal with giving some, your neighbor something to drink so that that individual would become drunk. According to what we see in Habakkuk chapter two and verse 15, it's wrong to give someone something to drink that would cause them to become drunk. Now this brings new light to John chapter two and verses one through 10, when Jesus performed that first miracle in Canaan of Galilee. And you remember he was at the wedding and he was able to turn the water into wine. And then some asked the question, well, did Jesus uh, cause the people to become drunk? Did Jesus give them intoxicating wine that would cause them to become drunk? Well, according to what we see in the back of chapter two and verse number 15, apparently not. Because according to verse number 15, woe unto him that giveth his neighbor drink, that putteth thy bottle to him, and maketh him drunken also. Jesus would not have done that. He would have gone against what was already written. And so you and I can take this scripture and apply it to that over in the New Testament. So, so it was wrong to be able to give your neighbor something to drink to cause them to become drunk. This is the fourth woe, the issue that God has with the people. Now notice verse 15, he's still in the fourth woe here. Verse 15 says, I'm sorry, 16, tells us thou art filled with shame for glory. Uh, drink thou also and let thy foreskin be uncovered. The cup of the Lord's right hand shall be turned unto thee and shameful spewing shall be on thy glory. For the violence of Lebanon shall cover thee and the spoil of beasts which made them afraid because of men's blood and for the violence of the land, of the city, and of all that dwell therein. Uh, that fourth woe uh, dealt with, of course, giving your neighbor something to drink and causing them to become drunken. And God took issue with that. He then brings us all the way down to verse number 18. And we'll begin to go into the final woe here, the fifth one. Verse 18 tells us what profiteth the graven image that the maker thereof have, have graven it, the molten image and a teacher of lies that the maker of his work trusteth therein to make dumb idols. Woe unto him that saith to the wood, awake to the dumb stone, arise, it shall teach. Behold, it is laid over with gold and silver and there is no breath at all in the midst of it. Now, this is the final woe that God has, the fifth one. Uh, it deals with worshiping idols. Again, we're looking at the commandments here. And when we're looking at the Ten Commandments here, God tells us, thou shalt not worship any other God. We also told that thou shalt not make any graven image. And so we have it again that the people have violated one of the commandments also. And God takes issue with that. But I want you to be able to pay close attention to how God describes the idols here and what they are not able to do. In verse number 18, the text tells us what profit the graven image 
You know, what profit if the graven image that the maker thereof have graven it? You know, what can it do? What can an idol do? Can it profit anything? Can anything be gained uh, by way of this idol? He says, the molten image and the teacher of lies. Uh, it's a molten image. They have erected something that they have made with their own hands and they're bowing down and they're worshiping that. It's a teacher of lies. The text tells us that the maker of his work trusteth therein to make dumb idols. In other words, the people have left God and they're worshiping something that they have fashioned with their hands. And, and they are pretty much telling lies to themselves because the idol can't speak. They can't say anything at all. So are they gaining any information? No, they're not. They're just simply bowing down and worshiping an idol, but they're telling themselves lies, saying that this idol is doing this for me or that for me. Again, it's the graven image. That's what God is taking issue with. Notice verse number 19, woe unto him that saith to the wood, arise, to the dumb stone, arise, it shall teach. God says, this is a, a sad uh, commentary of my people, that they have been reduced to this, that they have formed an idol, and then they're saying to the idol, arise. They're saying to the idol, teach us, but it can't do anything at all. The text tells us, behold, it is laid over with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in the midst of it. God says there's no breath in that idol that you are worshiping. It can't do anything at all. But then in verse number 20, it says, but. We have the word but there. This is a contrast. We've already seen what the people are doing. We see in verse number, verses 18 through 19 that they are worshiping idols. In verse 20, the text says, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Now that dumb idol can't do anything. That idol can't profit anything. That idol can't speak. It can't teach. It can't do anything. But the Lord is in his holy temple, but God is still in his holy temple. God is still on his throne. God is still powerful. God is still the great I am. That idol can't do anything at all, but God is still in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. God painted this beautiful picture there, and he talked about the five woes, the issues that he had with the people. And then in verse number 20, we are reminded that the Lord is still in his holy temple. My friends, you and I sometimes will go through the ups and downs of life, but we need to remember that God is still in his holy temple. God is still on the throne. God is still the great I am. And you and I have to buy into this concept. Uh, we're going to be trying to climb some rough hills in life, but we need to be able to remember that God is still there with us. We need to be able to wait for it. We need to be able to keep the faith, as he said to Habakkuk, because God is going to see us through. These are the things that we see in chapter two as he covered the five woes there. Now notice when we enter into chapter three. In chapter three, the Bible tells us, you're looking at verse number one. It says, a prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, upon Shignoth. So this is the prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet. Now notice what we have now. It says that it's the prayer of Habakkuk. But what you're going to find out, uh, this particular prayer is formulated in a way where it is a psalm. And so you have a prayer, but it's formulated in a way where it's actually a psalm, something that should be sung. 
And so notice what we have here, and I'll prove that to you first, and then we'll go back and be able to look at the text. Number one, he says, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet uh, upon Shignoth. Now, the word Shignoth means a dead ram or rambling poyo. Variable songs are tones. So, yes, it's a prayer, but it's formulated in a way where it appears to be a song. Let me give you three more examples. You're looking now at verse number three, verse six, I'm sorry, verse three, verse nine, and verse 13. Uh, each one of these verses will have the word in it, selah. Now, the word selah means to pause. Now, if you've read several Psalms before, uh, you know that this appears there in the book of Psalms, the word selah, and it just simply means to pause. Now, notice what you see in verse three. God came from Timah and the Holy One from Mount Paran, selah. In other words, we would get to that after reading Paran, we would then pause for a minute, and then we would pick up again with his glory covered the heaven and the earth was full of his praise. Again, you drop down to verse 9. Thy bow was made quite naked, uh, according to the oaks of the tribes, even thy word, and there's the word, Selah. There's the pause again that we would give. And then you drop down to verse 13. We see it again. Thou wentest forth for the salvation of thy people, even for salvation uh, with thine anointed, thou wouldest the head, I'm sorry, thou woundest the head out of the house of the wicked by discovering the foundation unto the neck. And then there's the word again, Selah. There is the pause that would occur. Uh, these particular things uh, allow us to be able to see that, yes, it is a prayer, but it's formulated in a way that it is a song. And then notice the last verse that you see, verse number 19. The Lord God is my strength, and he will make my feet like hind's feet. And he will make me to walk upon mine high places, and then notice this, to the chief singer on my stringed instruments. And so when we put all of this together, it is a prayer as it is announced in verse 1, but it's formulated in a way where it is a psalm uh, that would be sung and music would accompany this as well. And so this is what Habakkuk is doing. And so he starts with verse number 2, and all the way through, we're listening to this prayer or this psalm that Habakkuk has written. Notice what we have in verse two and three. O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years and the midst of the years make known in wrath, remember mercy. God came from Tima and, the holy, and the, the holy one from Mount Paran and then Selah. His glory covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. He goes on and on talking about God, praising God, and describing God. Uh, drop down to verse number eight, and we'll look at some key things that he begins to say. In verse eight, Habakkuk says, Was the Lord displeased against the rivers? Was thine anger against the rivers? Was the wrath, uh, was, was the wrath, was thy wrath against the sea that thou didst ride upon thine horses and thy chariots of salvation? When you're looking at verse number eight, he's dealing with how God controls the sea. He's beginning to show the power of God, that God is able to control the sea. Now, Habakkuk here is uh, using metaphorical language here and being able to describe uh, the power of God or the majesty of God. Uh, notice what you see, uh, looking at verse number nine and 10. He says, thy bow was made quite naked 
according to the oaths of the tribes, even thy word, Selah, thou hast clave the earth with rivers, and then notice 10, the mountains saw thee, and they trembled. The overflowing of the water passed by the deep, uttered, uttered his voice, and lifted up his hands on high. Now notice the first part of 10. The mountains saw thee, and they trembled. We're again looking at the power of God, uh, that God has a, the ability to cause earthquakes. We're looking at the power of God. Again, Habakkuk, notice what he says in 12. Thou didst march through the land in indignation. Thou didst thrash the heathen in anger. Now we're dealing with the judgments of God, uh, that he did thrash the heathen in anger. God and his judgments. So Habakkuk is painting this picture of being able to show to us uh, how he's praising God. Yes, chapter one, he was complaining. He got his answer. He complained again. And then God was able to soothe him a little bit by saying, wait for it, keep the faith. He then gave him the five woes. And then we're in chapter three, where Habakkuk now is praying or praising God in the form of a song. And then notice what you have from verse 17 down to verse 19 as we close out. He says, although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines, the labor of the olive shall fail and the field shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold and there shall be no herd in the stalls. In other words, things may not be going well. He says that the fig tree is not going to blossom. Neither there shall, shall there be fruit in the vines. He then drops down to 18 and says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the, the God of my salvation. In other words, verse number 17, keep the faith. The fig tree is not blossoming. Uh, the fruit are not in the vines. The labor of the olive shall fail. He says the field shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold. There shall be no herd in the stalls, but no matter what, keep the faith. That's what he's trying to say. Things may not be going well, but still keep the faith. Things may not be prospering, but still keep the faith. Again, we go back to chapter two, where he talks about wait for it. We go back to chapter two and verse four, where he says the just shall live by his faith. In other words, we've got to keep the faith no matter what's going on. Habakkuk had to learn to keep the faith, even though God delayed punishing the people. He had to learn how to keep the faith. Notice what you see in verse 18 and 19. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will, re I will joy in the God of my salvation. Habakkuk says, you know what? I'm still going to rejoice. Things may not be going well right now, but I'm going to rejoice. And did not Paul remind us to rejoice always? And again, I say rejoice. And then notice what you see in 19. He says, the Lord God is my strength. Habakkuk says, God is my strength. God is my strength. God is all that I need. He's my strength. Then he describes it. He says, and he will make my feet like hinds feet, and he will make me to walk upon mine high places. He says, God is my strength, and he's going to make my feet like hinds feet. I want to read something to you about uh, that term, hinds feet. A hind is a female deer. That can, that can place her back feet where her front feet step. The hind is a sure-footed angle an animal. Uh, making our feet like hind's feet means he will equip us with what we need to bring us through the rough patch. Notice that it is only the hind 
that can climb those rocky terrains. Habakkuk says, God is my strength. God will make my feet like Pine's feet. In other words, Habakkuk is saying, God has fully equipped me. He's my strength, and he's allowed my feet to be like Hines' feet. There are going to be some rough patches throughout life, but Habakkuk says, God has given me the ability to climb through the rough terrain. He has made my feet like Hines' feet. This from a man who complained to God twice, and then finally, he was able to see the full picture. My friends, here's the question. Have you been there before? Where we may have taken issue with God and there were some things that we just did not see until it was all over with. That's what Habakkuk had to go through. He had to learn how to keep the faith and trust and believe that God is going to keep his word and he will punish the people. My friends, I hope that I said something to you that encouraged you as we look through this book of Habakkuk. And the name, of course, means to embrace I didn't think about this. If his name means to embrace, well, all Habakkuk had to do was to embrace what God was saying and everything would have been all right. All he had to do was just embrace what God was saying. God said, I'm going to send in the Chaldeans. They're going to punish the people. All he had to do was embrace that just as his name states, but he struggled with that. My friends, that's Habakkuk. And maybe we can pick up some things that will help us as you and I struggle to try to keep the faith. I thank you again for your time and for your patience and for the opportunity to be able to be with you again. Now let's close out with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, dear Lord, for today. We thank you, my Lord, for this opportunity that you've given us to be able to read and study your word. We thank you, Father, for the things that we were able to glean from the book of Habakkuk. We pray, my Lord, that you will help us as we struggle with keeping the faith as we struggle with waiting for you to be able to step in and deliver us from many things in our life. Help us, Father, and lead us and guide us through that. We thank you, dear Lord, for the Buford congregation. We pray that you continue to be with them. Help them, Father, in all that they're doing uh, in light of what's going on in the world today. Pray, my Lord, that you'll be able to guide their steps. My Lord, be with all of your congregations and how we're all trying to do the best that we can to continue to have service and continue to do it in a safe way. My Lord, all these things we continue to ask in your son Jesus' name. Amen. My friends, thank you again for the opportunity and look forward to being with you next year. Maybe we can do that in person. Take care and have a good year.